Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yavoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today on the show, we have the head women's lacrosse coach at the Naval Academy, Cindy Timshell. Coach Timshell is on her 12th season at Navy. Since bringing the program to Division I, Navy has won six Patriot League championships, has appeared in six NCAA tournaments. They made the Elite Eight in 2018, and in 2017, they became the first service academy team for a women's sport to make it to the Final Four. Before coming to Navy, Coach Tim Chow was the head coach in Maryland. During her time in Maryland, the Terps won seven national championships in a row, eight in total. She's been the National Coach of the Year two times, a four-time ACC Coach of the Year, and she's been inducted into the Delaware County Sports Hall of Fame. Coach and I got a chance to talk about a lot of different things like developing a culture of competitiveness, team concepts, pre-practice, and much more. Here's my interview with Coach Tim Chow. Coach Tim Chow, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great to um, be on today, and um, thanks, Joe. Yeah, I'm excited to get to talk, but let's get started like I always do. How'd you get started playing lacrosse? Well, um, I have an interesting story because um, actually the I went to high school at Haverford High School, which mm-hmm. is a public school in the Central League outside of Philadelphia. Right. And although um, they had both girls and boys lacrosse there at the school, I ended up I was playing um, tennis. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to Westchester University is actually the first time that I was um, decided I was going to commit myself to playing the game, the sport of lacrosse. Right. Um, I, I saw that while I was while I was doing research. And so what um, what actually got you to play at Westchester? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a compelling thing. I believe that I was um, I, I uh, my degree is in health and physical education Mm -hmm. so we had a lot of activities courses um and um at that point a lot of my um classmates um you know happened to play lacrosse too so many of my best friends were playing field hockey and basketball and indoor i did run indoor track i Mm -hmm. did play fall tennis at at westchester and ran indoor track but ultimately i made a decision kind of a, uh, a neat decision because when I started playing, they actually had a freshman team. Mm-hmm. So the team was all young, right out of high school. And although obviously I was very raw in my skills because I never played in high school, mm-hmm. it was just an opportunity to kind of get better as an athlete right out of high school right away. And right. so being with all players of my same age, it wasn't too intimidating. Right. Um, and that's kind of how it started. I mean, 
you know, once you pick up a stick, as you know, Joe, it just becomes an opportunity for you to fall in love with the sport because right. you know, everybody was fast and everybody, you know, wanted to compete hard. So it was, uh, you know, that's how I kind of got started. Right, right. And uh, and so what other sports did you play? You mentioned tennis. Um, I think you yeah, mentioned field hockey. I was, what else? Um, I love tennis. Uh, in high school, I did, I did play some field hockey and basketball. Um, so I guess, you know, and, and, you know, again, another unique opportunity, uh, growing up was I grew up in Haver, Town, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, you know, I was in a high, uh, um, elementary school where we play competitive softball and mm-hmm. field hockey. Um, and so we played all the other elementary schools, right. um, which is very unique, yeah. I feel back then for young girls to have that kind of exposure in both fifth and sixth grade is when we started playing all the other schools. Right. Um, and that kind of, you know, laid the foundation to, to later make a decision to go to a college and a university to provide it, you know, a more athletic based, you know, college academic and athletic opportunities for me. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so uh, around what time did you start thinking that, um, you wanted to be a coach. Oh yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> one being, being in a more, you know, teacher based curriculum, I, um, was exposed to in my junior year, we had to do it like an understudy, um, mm-hmm. as a student teacher at, uh, an elementary school, um, it was actually media elementary. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you know, my curriculum was gearing me towards teaching. Right. And of course then probably like you, you end up knowing that, okay, I went through high school and you know, the teachers were also coaches. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was bound to end up coaching while I had that experience. So in my senior year, that's when I was able to do some student teaching at a middle school and then at Unionville high school. Mm-hmm. And it really was Unionville high school really set me up for, for my early future in, in coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, once I graduated, I went back there to student, uh, not to student teach, but to substitute teach. Mm-hmm. And then Subsequently, they wanted me to be the assistant field hockey, assistant basketball, and assistant lacrosse coach. So I was actually coaching three sports right out of college. Right. Um, ultimately, they gave me a full-time job, and then ultimately, mm-hmm. I moved on from there to go to you know the college level. Right, right. So, so how long were you at Unionville um, before was, you moved on I to the next I was at shop? Unionville for four years. Okay. And then, uh, and so how did the uh, assistant job um, open up for you at UPenn? Um, it was, Ann Sage at the time was the University of Penn. Both, she was both a head coach in both field hockey and lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there was an opening for a new position to be her full-time assistant in both of those programs. And she wanted to hire me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, and the interesting part is, I mean, you know, coach Sage really did lay the foundation. We were very, very good back then as a division one program 
in both field hockey and and lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And in particular on the lacrosse side, I only spent one year there. But what happened is we ended up going, you know, being in one, you know, top three programs in the country. Right. Right. And so what, when you say, uh, you know, she set the foundation, um, what, what do you mean by that? Do you mean like what 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 did you learn from her? I mean, it sounds like this well, was when I it was a self-made. I when I came into the program, it wasn't like I was hired as an assistant and made this immediate impactful you know, <laughs> developing the program right. uh, and Sage had already had recruited. And, you know, there was, this was back in the eighties and there was heavy recruiting back then. I mean, right. we were, we were taking recruits around campus, you know, three times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you know, the, we were limited that there wasn't an internet. So we were calling athletes up getting the come visit, experiencing that there was really a campus there at in Philadelphia at the University of Penn, a full campus. Right. Um, and so, yeah, uh, what I guess what I'm trying to say is and leading the foundation is that the fact that when she, uh, when I got there, she had, the, the athletes were already there. Gotcha. And then she, you know, she had recruited amazing athletes and right. Um, we right. were, you know, a, we were very, very good, you mm-hmm. know, at, at, the, at a time when, you know, again, the dominance at that time, um, you know, was Maryland, Penn State, you know, we could, we were right up there with, with those programs at the time. Right. So for me, right out of, you know, a very competitive situation in college, and then being able to coach at a college in which had highly competitive athletes in a highly academic school mm-hmm. uh, was very rewarding for me as an assistant coach. Right, and and if you can, uh, you know that that first experience at the college level coaching, can you remember what some of the biggest surprises or maybe some of the biggest lessons were? The the, the lessons were, uh, you know, I it you you know I I, be, I believe once again that I really do credit coach sage for allowing me not to come in and all of a sudden so many times assistants say they come in and they actually have to do like everything you know right. or there's so much thrown at them and maybe there was a simpler time but we dedicated most of our day planning for practices you know recruiting on the phone writing letters typing letters mm-hmm. um you know and um you know, it was a really high-powered college coaching experience. So I just knew I would be driven to be in that kind of, um, you know, coaching slash teaching, because you're teaching a lot when you're coaching, right. um, environment, um, you know, that drove me to say, I want to coach, mm-hmm. you know, at the Division One level, you know, like at, on a full-time right. situation. I mean, many it was very unique at the time because we were transitioning from the fact of being maybe a head coach in two sports or an assistant in two, mm-hmm. and maybe still having to teach at the same time. Maybe that's still the paradigm for some of the division three programs perhaps. But mm-hmm. in this case, um, I was really on the, you know, kind of on the, a pioneer on the cusp of coaches now just being hired as full-time head coaches. Right. And, full-time coaches for one sport. So, right. um, 
you know, that gotcha. really did ignite me, the, the experience at the University of Penn. Right, right. And, and then, so how did the, how did the head coaching position at Northwestern open up? Or become well, um, again, a very unique opportunity. Um, one of my former, uh, you know, roommates in college and housemates in college, she was hired as Northwestern University's head field hockey coach. Hmm. Um, and when they hired her, they say, we want to add lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I have the right person for you. <laughs> so then I was hired as her assistant field hockey mm-hmm. uh, since I had the field hockey experience at the University of Penn. And as the then now new um, um, lacrosse coach, mm-hmm. you know, the head lacrosse coach at Northwestern University. Right. And so, you know, that this is your first um, college head coaching position. Um, sort of how are, how were you approaching that challenge at the time? What what sort of tone were you trying to set for the program? Well, part of the program again, I, I, I once again credit the fact that um, the Northwestern University is in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. you know, and you know at the time there were actually more field hockey programs in the Big Ten schools um, than maybe they are there are currently right now. Um, Purdue had a field hockey program and Indiana university had a field hockey program and Minnesota had a field hockey program. So it was a highly competitive experience. And back then too, the athletes that we brought in to play field hockey were dual athletes. So they were scholarship in field hockey, but we also, um, had the opportunity to, um, um, allow them to play lacrosse. Mm-hmm. So, what I did is, you know, we set a highly competitive tone in, in field hockey, mm-hmm. and then many of those athletes continue to play in the spring and play lacrosse. Right. And so there was always, there, again, there was a, already a foundation of playing at a higher level, mm-hmm. higher expectations. Um, so the whole time that I was at Northwestern, we never, ever had lacrosse scholarships. Hmm. Um, and although we didn't have them, I benefited from wonderful, amazing athletes that right. really competed hard. And we had some real good signature wins and went to the NCAAs probably five out of the 10 years I was there. Right. Yeah. I see uh, five NCAA tournament, uh, NCAA tournament appearances and a winning record eight out of the nine seasons that you were there. Um But uh, so I'm curious, you know, one thing one thing you mentioned you mentioned is um uh, you know, you were establishing a culture of competitiveness with the field hockey team that tr- that also transferred over to the lacrosse team. Um, if you can, can you can you talk about what you mean by a, a culture of competitiveness? Oh, uh, <laughs> um, what I experienced in college, you know, it really laid that kind that kind of foundation. Mm-hmm. We were, you know both Nancy Stevens and myself were in a college setting and my other wonderful teammates from Westchester university that, um, you know, everybody who went to Westchester was good. Mm -hmm. And so there was, you know, again, it was almost like being on the pro team because we just really did not want to let each other down. 
Right. We certainly had a standard of training on our own. A lot of the training we did was, you know, we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach. Mm-hmm. Everything was more self-motivating, like get in the weight room yourself, go to the training room on your own, show up to practice and just practice like crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I got to Northwestern, we were used to, you know, setting that standard of, now really getting into the training, you just didn't, you know, show up for practice and kind of do a few drills Have you know, what we right. did really establish a tremendous level of, you know, commitment to, you know, the strength and conditioning piece. Mm-hmm. Um, we also spent a lot of time on heavy fundamentals mm-hmm. and heavy stick handling skills. So those are the kind of things that through my experiences as an athlete in college, and even at the University of Penn, just knowing that the right athletes, and when you bring them in, have the right mindset. Right. Um, you know, uh, athletes that are pretty mentally um, strong, mm-hmm. you know, they, they never get tired. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, right. Uh, and the, yeah. And the best ones and the best athletes, not only you know, do they never get tired if they just eat up the ones that, you know, the greatest, the great athletes just don't get tired right? either. And, right. and so when they're playing a good athlete, they just, you know, right. They yeah. just know what it's going to take. Um, right. You yeah. know, to do the best they can. Yeah. That, that's, that's why I was curious about, you know, developing a culture of competitiveness. Cause I mean, you're obviously, you're absolutely right that the best athletes, you know, they're, they're not going to stop, but also in my experience, anyway, I feel like the best athletes are the ones that are, that are almost always looking to compete in, in whatever they're doing, whether it's against somebody else or whether it's against even themselves. Um, so I want to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah. And, and, and as a coach, you really nurture and cultivate that, um, that environment mm-hmm. in, in your practice settings. Um, you have to have a sense that, that, you know, you, you know, competition, I think the word comes from some French word, you know, that really means seek together. So hmm. when you're in a situation, you know, you can create a real positive, um, but competitive practice environment that allows your athletes to really excel, mm-hmm. um, by it, it's never like, well, it's us versus them. And certainly we have our warrior games and, you know, we're competing hard, but right. we want to make sure that the reason I want to be good is I want to make you look good, Joe. So right. I right. want to make sure that whatever I do, you know, it's, you know, again, like a giving tree. And then you're, you know, I'm trying to make you look good. You're trying to make me look good. And together right. then we get a whole lot better. Right. So, yeah you know, that creating that kind of competitive environment is, um, is something that athletes can bring the right athletes that you recruit into your mm-hmm. program. But additionally, it's what the, you know, the coach can tweak that and, um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you push, push demands on each athletes and come up with some standards or promises to each other that they're going to, have do or or have things as a team that really are not negotiable mm-hmm. like we're going to do this no matter what or right. we're going to be this way no matter what 
Um, and that kind of cultivates that competitiveness in practices and competing in games. Right, right. And and so, and this might be a, a tough question to answer on the spot, but how, how do you develop uh, that kind of culture where, um, you know, I, I think you said the word was, um, you know, we're going to get somewhere together. Um, how do you develop a culture where uh, people on your team are competing with each other, but it's to make everybody better rather than two players on the same team going head to head? Right. How do you develop well, there, that? Yeah, there has to be a, uh, a huge buy in with your athletes and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they have to, um, yeah, I just, if you if you have that right right mindset of this is um you know a culture of making each other stronger and better right and you know again whether they're commitments to each other um I, it just really it, the basis of all that comes back to you know a simple term would be just selflessness you know unselfish mm. play right um and it's hard you know, everybody has, you know, they want to maybe be the one that's scoring all the goals or the one that is making the big defensive stops. And certainly there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get right. me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, collectively developing that team, team chemistry, you really do have a, have a strong foundation of being on that same path. And right. it, I don't know. It seems like. Um, maybe you should talk to Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a. If it's, you're one minute late, you don't you go home. You know, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah. you know, I, I, you know, you, you, you know, at the end of the day, you you can't. Your athletes have got to want it for themselves and for their teammates. You know, mm. you can't, you know, really make them want it more or you say oh gosh i wish they came back in better shape oh i wish you did you know were right. stronger in your stick handling skills um that level of accountability may become because they really want to come back in better shape and they want to you know enhance their stick skills so they're a contributor to the team right. and by wanting to do that then they'll go out and do it you know right right yeah it's uh it's it's sort of a it's it's like a paradoxical concept, right? Where you know when you're a young player, you do have those thoughts of hey, you know, I want to be the one that's going to score the winning goal, or I want to be the one that's going to make the game winning save. Um, but the best players that I've talked to that have come on the show or that I've met or played with are the ones who have bought in early to the fact that they're accountable to the team, sort of like what exactly what you were saying. And so when they work in practice or on an in, in an individual session, they're working obviously for themselves to get better, but they're working from a sense of being accountable to the team. And if you, the earlier you buy into that mindset, the better individual player you become, right? It, it's something that's so hard to learn as a player, but it's so important. Yeah, it is. It, it yeah. is. The whole team concept is, is a difficult one. And, you know, those who have, you know, again, when you ever talk to somebody that's just come off of winning a Super Bowl or a national cha- championship or mm-hmm. a World Series, you know, they're never going to talk about, 
you know, their skill sets as much as now we're coming back to that mental piece and how much they love each other and mm-hmm. how they would do it, you know, like they just worked hard together as a team, you know, they're right. all those intangibles they end up talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, is it backed up? I mean, then that begs the question, what, you know, what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. You know, because but we're human beings. So what do we need to do to be the athlete that I want to be? Right. So you might, you know, that that's again when you have to decide. Okay. You know, I can do these three things. I can get better at this. And when I do that, then I step out on the field, being the athlete that I want to be for the team. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. I'm a good scrapper. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, run down any ball. I can, you know, get back on defense when when I'm tired. <laughs> right, <laughs> this right. This type of thing. So, right. yeah, that's how you get the whole buy-in on that. Right. That part. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so tell us, uh, tell us how you ended up at the position in Maryland. Yeah. Um, you know, Maryland was a team that we played um, several times when I was at Northwestern. And I um, obviously had a fondness even before I was at Northwestern about, you know, Maryland because I was at Penn and knew Mm -hmm. that they they were, you know, University of Maryland women's sport. It it was, you know, bars none, you know, did more for women's sports at the University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. You know, they had an unbelievable basketball program that was number one in the country and uh, Sue Tyler, who was both a field hockey and lacrosse coach at the time, established dominance in winning a national championship in field hockey and a couple in lacrosse. So they were the they were the they were the team. They were the team. Other mm-hmm. teams followed suit. Uh, Penn State would be the other team for women in sports, you know, in mm-hmm. field hockey and lacrosse. Um, but I guess the the opportunity came when Sue Tyler made a decision to. Um, step away from lacrosse and become a full-time administrator that Mm. they gave me the call and said, we'd like you to, you know, come visit and check us out and all that kind of stuff. So that's what started that process. And I think overall, you know, I think Sue, uh, Tyler, the coach, uh, was certainly maybe, you know, impressed with, what Northwestern did as a team, mm-hmm. knowing that we were in the Midwest and knowing we didn't have the scholarships, but kind of getting the most out of the team members right? Um, without having the same resources as a University of Maryland had at the time. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that first year, um, tell us how you approach, uh, I guess, setting the tone for the program. I mean, especially like you said at Maryland, um, you know, the program having such a storied history, um, how do you sort of step into that head coaching position and sort of make your mark on the program? Is that how you were approaching it or, or how are you thinking about it? And now I think, the, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, I believe the first thing I said to my, the team when I met them is like, and again, you can imagine a little bit unsettling because I was actually hired in the middle of the year right before the season started. So there was probably a lot of angst and anxiety on the athletes themselves, and I was scared to death. Right. <laughs> so coming out of being honest and saying, I'm really scared, you probably have unanswered questions, you know, kind of like try to develop a journey that we could take together. Right. 
um, and more of a self-discovery, mm-hmm. you know, um, coming from Northwestern. And although they have an unbelievable brand new, I don't know, $265 million indoor facility, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we'd practice a lot outside in Chicago. So one of the things when I came to Maryland is I, you know, when it was cold, they all went into a gym and practiced. I said it would never be too cold to be outside. Right. <laughs> so we kind of set a standard of being outside in the cold and kind of toughening each other up. Although keep in mind, I was dealing with some, again, very, um, you know, re- recruited lacrosse players from, Maryland and Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So, you know, they were good. They were good right from the beginning. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, we just worked hard together. Right. Um, Yeah. It it looks like, uh, so your, your first season there, you went to the national championship game. Um, and then, uh, so won the, the first national title in, in 92, this is the third in school history. Is that right? Right. Right. Um, and then, and so I'm, seeing you know from 95 to 96 you guys at one point had 50 straight wins yeah um, which is unbelievable it was crazy yeah i, I mean uh, the i guess the question i have for you is how how is the team able to be so consistent what oh. about um you know you're coaching the team well and, um yeah. i had the best assistant in the country in gary gate hmm. and so we he did everything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, we did it together. But certainly having Gary with his insightfulness, mm-hmm. you know, he won three national titles at Syracuse. Right. He was out working with STX at the time and living in Baltimore. It was a wonderful opportunity to reach out to him. And mm-hmm. said, I just said, look, I have a really good team. If you can come help and work, you know, work with us, you know, I think you'll enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we started recruiting amazing athletes, and those are the athletes that said yes to Maryland. That between that and and Gary and those athletes, they when they said yes to Maryland, really helped us to be the teams and have the teams that we had during that period of time when we you know won all those games in a row. Right, right, gotcha. And and sort of sort of a similar question as I look over. Um, you know, one thing that I see is uh, like a lot of overtime wins. Um, you know, in 2001, you guys have a perfect season. You win in double overtime. Um, and this is one thing that I saw, um, you know, when I talked to Coach Tierney at Denver was there was a similarity of a lot of wins in overtime. I um, mean, it seems like you guys had the same thing at Maryland. Um, what is it about um, your team that they were able to stay so poised under pressure? Um, you know, there's a part of, you know, when, when you have that level of success and then you stay grounded to that, in other words, you understand that it, you know, you take one game at a time and we really tried with our team to instill, you know, taking that one game at a time and not think about, we never thought about how, you know, when you win all those games, they go, oh, gosh, we're really good. We never thought about right. how good we were. We always wanted to think about how, when we stepped out on the field, how hard that we practice 
um, in practice. Mm-hmm. So that when we stepped out on the field, you would know that. You right. know? So we're trying to prove to ourselves, you know, rather than to prove that we can beat another team. Right. You know, we just wanted to kind of beat ourselves, so to right. speak. So maybe in those situations, and, and there's a little bit to it. And, you know, I always like to, if I'm being, if I'm talking to you, Joe, or somebody else, especially this time of year, um, it's Super Bowl weekend coming up and not quite, you know, we're very short of March Madness right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you saw the games that went into overtime this past weekend, you know what I'm right. saying? So, yep. and if for some reason, you know, New England prevailed or, you know, or, or they're more consistently, if they're put under those situations, as Tony Roma would say, uh-oh, <laughs> it's, Tom Brady's on the 35 yard line right. and he has the ball and he can win the game. And he was right. right. You know, so right. I think there's a sense of that when we were winning those games, I, I wasn't that happy in 2001 that it took us to overtime to win. In fact, um, there were many times we could have lost that game hmm. um, and not won seven straight national titles, but you know, um, things ultimately went our way at the end. Right. Even though it took extra, extra time to do it. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so how did the um, opportunity at the Naval Academy um, come about? Um, if I and you know what, if I'm wrong about this, I apologize. It's the uh, um, when you took the job at Navy the first year, it was it was still a club lacrosse team, correct? Yes. Right. And. Um, yes, very similar to other, um, you know, we've been an emerging sport in the division one programs, you know, division one women's lacrosse and, you know, when they hired, I think out at USC, um, there was a club before Lindsay Monday was hired. Mm -hmm. Um, and here at Navy, we had a club. So it's, you just, it's very difficult to come in. And just start a team because you have to recruit. Right. And, you know, if you're hired in the beginning of the school year, you can't, those recruits are already gone somewhere. Plus everybody's already scheduled. So mm-hmm. the very first year we competed as a club. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very, for me, you know, as a longtime division one coach, coaching the club program was very rewarding. It was very enlightening I got to experience flying down to Florida and playing the University of Florida club team and Central Florida club and Colorado club. There was clubs from all over the country. And then ultimately we, we flew out to Denver um, and Dick Sporting Goods hosted the women's club championship hmm. at, at those fields. And um, actually ultimately the national, the, the, the championship for club, that particular year, the championship game was played at the University of Denver, hmm. um, and this was before they had a Division One program too. Right. So we flew to uh, Denver. You know, we we flew to Florida. <laughs> mm-hmm. We were on television. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just like, and you went. Now, when you look at the number of club programs from the University of all the programs in Texas, University of Texas, right. Um, 
a lot of California schools at the time were still club. You know, a couple of them have gone Division One, but mm. um, I guess what I want to say, it was one of my most joyful years of coaching only because of not only the challenge, and I was mm-hmm. used to that being at Northwestern starting a program, right, but right. also very refreshing to take the sport. Um, you know, most of our games at Maryland were just on the East Coast, but to fly out to Denver and play and have these schools you never heard of that have that had club women's lacrosse, it was an um, amazing experience for me as a right. coach. Right, and and so uh, this is your this is your eleven season, or is this your your twelfth? Twelfth. This is this is uh, coming into your twelfth. So, uh, you know, I mean, in even in the the short amount of time since the beginning of the program, since starting the program at the D one level, it looks like you guys have had a great amount of success. Um, if I if I saw correctly, you're the first service academy team for a women's sport to advance to the final four in yes. in 2017. Yeah. Um, I guess sort of, uh, you know, what, what would you say, uh, what would you say is, you know, the values of, of, of a Naval Academy women's across how, how, what, what tone are you setting for the team? Well, um, you know, once you make a decision to come to the school, like the Naval Academy, um, the young women that make a decision to come here, it's an amazing high, you know, school of higher education. You have one of some of the top liberal arts programs in the nation. And then to come into a program, you know, my athletic director, Chuck Gladchuck, when he made a decision to have women's lacrosse, you know, the first thing he said to me, you're going to play in the stadium, you know, with the video scoreboard, you're going to have a brand new facility. Um, you know, they, they wanted to do whatever it takes um, to be successful for a brand-new program. And you know, they provided that opportunity in one of the nicest places ever, which is Annapolis, Maryland. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, for the values of the young women, I mean, they, they come in very, um, you know, mature and focused. Mm-hmm. Um and have a lot of discipline. Um, but don't get me wrong. We like to have a good time. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know? Right. Right. Um, so, so if you can, uh, you know, for the Naval Academy, can you walk us through what a typical in-season practice would be like for you guys? Yes. Um, you know, we typically work out, you know, twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe three times a week we do a noon workout and then we practice every afternoon. Um, and the noon workouts are, are normally, you know, our strength and conditioning piece. Um, mm-hmm. and then we like to separate that out of our regular practice. And so, um, and then of course, you know, as we start getting into our season, we will then do more stuff at noon hour too, in addition to having, you know, a a strength and conditioning piece um, is we'll do a lot of um, individuals and do more, um, you know, video analysis, things like that Mm -hmm. too. Um, Yeah. So it's a, it's a true dedication, you know, they go to classes, you know, at lunch, they have lunch and they come over and have um, 
you know, a lift of some sort and then come back after class in the afternoon. Right. And yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so uh, how much would you say, you know, what sort of is the split between how much you guys do individual work versus how much you guys are doing, um, you know, team teamwork, you know, offense and defense sets, things like yeah. that. Well, in in a scope of a regular practice, you know, we'll start out with a dynamic, you know, what we what we try to do is start out with um, kind of a pre-practice where players who can come early after school will come and start doing some, you know, heavy stick handling skills. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a time to maybe t- take your extra shots, do some more partner passing, mm-hmm. uh, do some ladders, some little bit of extra stuff. Then we'll do a dynamic, um, more of a di- dynamic warm up movement. Um, and then from there we'll do more, more heavy, heavy stick handling skills. <laughs> Right, and right. then we start breaking it down. It, it just all depends on what we're trying to focus in on. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's this period of time before we have our first game. It's all about Navy. Um, right. And so we're just heavy on focusing in ourselves and we'll do mm-hmm. small games. We'll do some competitive games, some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll do, we'll split the group and do offense at one end, defense at the other end. Right. Um, so we really do mix it up and we try to keep it, um, fresh, keep the pace going. We time all our drills. Um, you know, we do that to kind of keep the pace going. Mm-hmm. Um, and and know, how that, long- that's how kind of how our practice will unfold. Now, as we start getting into our season and playing someone else, we'll do more, you know, scouting stuff, being prepared for the, you know, other team. And of course, early again, early in a the season, there's less known about an opponent to start the season as there is as you go through the season and then maybe ultimately play a team again right depending on the circumstances but right. and, um, and and so so real quick how how long are you guys out on the practice field would you say on average uh anywhere from two to three hours two to three hours okay yeah. um it's been so- a little less during some of this preseason in that an example is today, if um, we're not going out today, we're going to be in our indoor facility. Mm-hmm. However, if we made a decision, like on the colder side, mm-hmm. and we did go out, it may be a shorter, like a harder, shorter practice because of the weather elements, right? as opposed to inside where we might break down things and slow things down a little bit. So, Gotcha. Yeah, we gotcha. have obviously, as you know, lacrosse, very unique in many ways, including the weather that we play in. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't think Coach K has to worry about this when <laughs> Duke comes out and plays Virginia Tech or whatever. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you mentioned, you know, you guys do some video work, uh, and maybe it sounds like later in the season as you guys are, you know, can get more video on, on opponents, but how are you guys preparing for upcoming opponents? What, what does that process look like? Um. We we are in in a process now of is being as as ready you know you know fit wise you know skill set wise prepared you know offense defense you know special we might want to call the special situations like the draw eight meters mm-hmm. you know quick starts out of bounds whatever when for us um, Joe you know we've been now our third season with a shot clock. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you're prepared for those kind of special situations. So, um, but in, in terms of knowing our opponent, we've, we've played now Virginia for about the last uh, five years. So we're pretty familiar with them, you know, right. it's like an in-season game and, um, you know, familiar with their facility and, um, know the players pretty well. I mean, they're going to have new players. We have new players. So, um, we'll just go back, watch some film from last year. We'll get, um, you know, know that, you know, they played in the fall and played some of the teams we played in the fall, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the game, when you're watching another team play someone else, that's how they played against them. You don't narrowly know how you match up against a team right, right. until you play them. Right. And so, and so when you are looking at, at that, the video, um, are you more looking for, you know, general tendencies or are you, do you focus down on individual matchups? Oh, um, we're going to do a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. You know, I know on the men's side, they'll really be heavy on matchups or even like basketball or whatever, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we do some individual matchups. Um, you know, our our defenses we mix that up too. I think more so now on uh, the last few years. You know, most teams play you know a traditional man. You know, helping man to man defense. Um, we've morphed some of that out, and so do the men. You know, mm-hmm. and playing some type of a zone or a shut off type D. Um, right. Kind of mixing it up, um, just to disrupt the other team's attack. But right. you know, at the end of the day, you got to play good, solid defense. <laughs> right. Goalie right. has to come up with big saves. So we're more, um, probably more aligned to play more of a team defense rather than focusing on maybe individual matchups, particularly early on in the season. Right. And that could, you know, dwarf itself out as the season goes on. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then, so, uh, you know, how do you as a head coach, you know, when you have a game coming up, what are you trying to do to prepare yourself um, for that game or for the upcoming opponent? Uh, how are you thinking about that matchup? Oh, I try. I don't, you know, <laughs> a lot of sleepless nights. I need, <laughs> I need to have what Josh was. Josh um, McDaniels has uh, a pod that you sleep in. <laughs> for 40 minutes and then it allows you to get four hours of sleep simulate oh, that's what i i never heard of that i need that that's amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and you think well that's for the athletes but you know as you know um you know football coaches put in the time and the work at, right you know, but uh anyway um yeah it that in a, that it's always a very fine line you know mm-hmm. You're trying to push your athletes hard, get them a lot of reps, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, you want them to be as prepared as possible of what to expect when they play a particular opponent. Right. So many times we'll talk about tendencies, um, but, you know, kind of knowing your opponent, kind of the art of war mm-hmm. um, has helped us to be successful throughout the season. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, just a few more, I'm keeping my eye on the clock, but just a few more questions I want to ask you about, um, recruiting, especially for young players that might be listening. Um, you know, how do you recommend, um, young players today, uh, 
get noticed or, or, or maybe stand out? Um, I feel a lot of what they're doing already are, is good. Um, mm. Many of them, you know, have started early in, in playing lacrosse. As you know, I coach in an area and in a state where the official state team sport is lacrosse. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we're very passionate and a little bit fanatical about the game. Mm-hmm. With that said, I, you know, young athletes need to just, bottom line, they need to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, if athletes, you know, don't have fun, they're, you know, they're going to play something else. Right. And, that's part of it. You know, we feel collectively as college coaches that it's great that athletes play many different sports, you know, not just lacrosse. Most of my athletes were either basketball players or soccer players or ran mm-hmm. cross country. So kind of having a multi-sport background even helps them with injuries and muscle, muscle memory and things like that. Right. Um, you know, once they make a decision to join a club, um, that can become intense, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it's a great way to get, you know, play with better players, travel, be on a travel team, um, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's an opportunity for the young players. As long as they're having fun, they keep sports in perspective, um, not overdo it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately, they're going to be recognized right. um, by coach. I mean, if their goal is, I, I want to be recognized and I want to play college lacrosse. I think one of the things they want to say is, look, I love the game of lacrosse. I'm a good student. I want to have a lot of opportunities to pick a college of choice. And, you know, one of the things we like to tell, you know, lacrosse players is that there's just not one school. Right that you're going to be happy at. There's probably 20 schools that you could excel in and thrive in. So, you know, and then finally, if they want to be, you know, be recognized, then they just, you know, go to the tournaments, go Mm -hmm. to camps. Um, You know, I think the one big thing is knowing that they really enjoy playing the game. And I think that's critical. Right. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, Makes I know. Sense. And if you look at like somebody like Gino, you know, he's going to say, and I agree with Gino, you know, he'll go to a he'll go to an AAU game or something in basketball, and he'll see a kid maybe put their head down or you know have what you know this body language, mm-hmm. and he goes, he'll just cross that kid right off the list. <laughs> hmm. So right. I think that you know. College college coaches are looking for those athletes that can make mistakes, be resilient, get back on defense, be good teammates. I know we want it all, and we're not going to get it all, but um, we recognize the players that have put in the time. Um, You know, you see someone like Charlotte North, who's now a sophomore at uh, Duke. She practiced like three hours after regular high school practice. Right. You know, I think she, I'm not sure if she was a freshman year in the ACC, but she was right up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell the time that she put in and then she just loves the sport. So right. those are right. the type of things that college coaches really do admire. Yeah. You know. Gotcha. 
Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, well, coach, listen, uh, you know, I, I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on, but there's, there's one more question that I've asked everybody yeah. who came, uh, who's come on the show. Um, what are three things that everyone should be doing every day to get better at whatever it is they do? It doesn't have to just be lacrosse. There's something that they should do every day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, um, gosh, I, um, something they should do every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to be a well-grounded person, I think it's an opportunity every day to really show appreciation. So mm-hmm. if you give a little bit of a shout out to one of your teammates, maybe your roommate, maybe someone in your class or even phone home and say, thanks mom or thanks dad right. you know, for the opportunities that you've given me. It doesn't have to happen every day, but that will definitely make your athletes 10% happier. Mm-hmm. And, gotcha. um, you know, happy athletes is usually a pretty fun athlete to coach and they're pretty fun to have on your team. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, well, coach, listen, uh, you know, like I said, this was a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, hopefully we can talk again soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a travel or club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free, it's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.